That song really fits this sermon. I encourage you, uh, when you get home, to find that song, All I Have is Christ, and memorize that. Put that in your heart. What a beautiful song. Take out your Bibles now, would you, and turn to Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5. We're in the uh, Lenten season now. The Lenten season began a week and a half ago at uh, Ash Wednesday, and uh, folks all over the world, across the denominations, uh, uh, were placing the uh, Ashen Cross on their foreheads. And this Lenten season uh, leads up to the cross, Good Friday. Once Good Friday comes, the Lenten season is over. We enter then not into a a time of somber reflection, but joyful reflection as we look to Easter Sunday. Looking at Romans chapter 5, verses 1 through 11, and we're going to also look at Ephesians chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. Ephesians 5 and 1 and 2 will be brought to us just a little bit later in this message. Our focus today is the cross of Christ and the love of God. What page number was uh, in the Black Pew Bible? 1,119 in the Pew Bible. Brothers and sisters, hear now the eternal word of God. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith... We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance. And endurance produces character. And character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame. Because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Before I continue with the rest of this portion, I want to draw your attention to verse number 5, where it uh, refers to uh, God's love. If we were to take the translation directly word for word from the original Greek, we would have read this phrase this way in verse number 5. And hope does not put us to shame because the love of God has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. The ESV version here translates it God's love, which is fine. So does the NIV Uh, The majority of translations into English do translate it as the love of God. Let's continue now in God's words. Verse number 6. For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners... Christ died for us. Since, therefore, we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if, while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his Son, much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, 
We also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. So far the reading from God's word. Let's pray. Father in heaven, these words are your words, penned by your servants under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Pray now, Lord, that your spirit would anoint the messenger this morning and that your spirit would anoint the hearers as well. Move us more into the likeness of Jesus Christ this morning. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. The title of this message is The Love of God. It works both ways. I want to speak to you about the fulfilled life. It's twofold. God's love for us, that's part one of this message. Part two is our love for God. The love of God, it works both ways. Part one, God's love for us. John 3.16, probably the most famous verse in the entire Bible, says, For God so loved, he gave his one and only Son. Now, to appreciate John 3.16 more fully, we have to take into account who God is. Who is this God who loved us? I want to tell you that uh, our God is our creator, the creator of everything. If you were to consider the Milky Way galaxy, there are 100,000 million stars in it. So what does that mean? Say the word million and say the word million 100,000 times. That will give you an idea of how many stars are in our Milky Way galaxy. So how many galaxies are there in the universe? The astronomers now estimate there are roughly 200 billion galaxies. Take that into account. How do you get your mind around such a figure? Well, you can't. Now let's consider God and his name, how he is to be addressed. When Moses was meeting God on Mount Sinai and meets with the angel of the Lord in the burning bush, Moses has given instructions to take back to the people of Israel. Moses says, what name shall I say? Sent me. Because they're going to ask that of me. And God answered Moses, and you tell them, I am sent you. That is my name. I am. Can you get your mind around that? No matter how far back you go in time, there's God saying, I am. Presently, as we're considering this message, God says, I am. No matter how far we go into the future, an infinite uh, distance into the future, God is still saying, I am. He just exists. He's always existed. There's no beginning and there's no end to him. Can you get your mind around that? No, you can't. But this morning I'm speaking about God is love. Can you get your mind around that, that God is love? You can't. But this morning we're going to try. Now this God, this I am, demonstrates his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, God gave his best. He gave his one and only Son, his beloved Son. In love, God gave him. What does the word gave even mean? It means he delivered him up. God's only Son was beaten, whipped, spat upon, mocked. He was alone. 
This holy, sinless, righteous man was crucified. He was nailed to the tree. And the Lord himself, can you take that in? Isaiah 53. The Lord himself laid upon him. Upon who? Jesus, the iniquity of us all, the sins of us all. Can you take that in? Jesus bore our sins in his body on the tree. And while he's hanging there, suffering, he's praying. In love, he's praying for you. He's praying for me. He was praying for those who were gathered around the cross, praying, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. This is love. At 12 o'clock noon, darkness came over the whole land. The sun refused to shine. Separation from God was taking place. Jesus was crying out with a loud voice, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? This is the agony of the cross. Jesus Christ is taking on our condemnation. He's taking on God's wrath. The sinless one, Jesus Christ, the Holy One of Israel, is becoming sin for us. All of this is happening while we were yet sinners, verse number 8. All of this was happening while we were his enemies, verse 10. And then he died in our place. The creator God, the one who is called I am, has just now, in this message, demonstrated for you his love. The love of God was demonstrated 2,000 years ago, and you have heard it proclaimed once again. The cross, love, can you get your mind around it? You can't. The Bible says, Isaiah says, by his wounds, by Jesus' wounds, we are healed. What does that mean we were healed? Verse number one, if you turn with me there, we were justified. Justified by faith. Look at verse number nine. We have been justified by his blood. What does that mean to be justified? It means to be forgiven. It means that Jesus Christ's prayers on the cross, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do, were heard by his Father. Forgiven. Not guilty. Cleansed by the blood of Jesus Christ. Justified. Healed. We also have peace with God. Verse number one. The barrier of separation between us and God is gone. The veil was torn in two. Verse number 10 and verse number 11 says that we were reconciled to God. Brothers and sisters, once we were ungodly. Verse number six. Do you see it there? For While we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. That's what you were. That's what I was. Verse number 8 says, while we were still sinners. Verse number 10 says, while we were still enemies. Ungodly, sinners, enemies. All of this is happening while we were these. But that is not what we are any longer Because of Jesus Christ, we have been reconciled to God, cleansed. We have become family, holy and dearly loved sons and daughters of the living God. The great I am has sons and daughters. You are some of them. I am with you. Behold what manner of love 
Behold what manner of love the Father has given unto us, that we should be called sons and daughters of God. And he says to you this morning, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. There is no thing and no one who will ever separate you from my love, ever. Brothers and sisters, you can't really get your mind around this, this kind of love. And that's why he has to tell it to your heart. That's why God tells it to your heart. Romans 5, 5. Your heart will understand. The love of God has been poured out into our hearts by the Holy Spirit. A few weeks ago, my little granddaughter was peering over my shoulder, and she saw me listening and watching a song on the computer. It was a group called We the Kingdom, and they were singing a song called Holy Water. And in there, there's a verse that says, Dead man walking, slave to sin. I want to know about being born again. My granddaughter said, Grandpa, why do we need God? Well, that's going to probably take me a few years to tell her, but part of the reason why we need God is because every one of us is born with a God-shaped hole, a huge hole in our heart. And it can only be filled by God and by his love. We were made for this, brothers and sisters, for God and for his love. And until our heart is filled with the love of God, with God himself, we will never, ever experience joy, fulfillment, purpose, hope, or healing. The path into this blessed, fulfilled life is found in verse number one. Don't miss that. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, faith. Verse two, through him we have also obtained access by this faith into this grace in which we stand. It's all a gift. All that I'm sharing with you this morning, it's, it's a gift from God. His love for us. But I also want to speak to our love for him. This is a gift from God as well. Part two. Our love for God. Because the love of God works both ways. If you're going to have a fulfilled life in Christ... This love for God must work both ways. The Bible says that even though you haven't seen him, you love him. Why? Because the love of God has been poured out into your heart. And this love is more than a feeling. This isn't passive. He doesn't do all the work of loving us. We have our part to play. Blessedly, otherwise we'd be like the the Dead Sea in Israel, where the water comes in and it never goes out. And it's useless for anything except making salt. 
We can't just receive the love of God. We ourselves must love him back. This isn't passive. We have our part to play. We show our devotion to God and to Jesus. We show our love for God by obeying him, by living a life of loving obedience, love in action. Jesus says this, If you love me, you will obey my commandments. And he goes on further to say, The one who obeys my commandments, that's the one who loves me. But how does that look? How can we get our minds around loving the way God wants us to love, how Jesus wants us to love? Will you turn now with me for our second reading, Ephesians chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. Ephesians chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. The Apostle Paul is again writing. Now he's writing to the church in Ephesus. These are incredibly challenging words. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Be imitators of God and love that way. Be imitators of Jesus and love that way. And I want to tell you that that's impossible with man. With God, all things are possible. And so now we come to the cross once again. Jesus, who loved us and gave himself up for us, he delivered himself. God delivered him. Jesus gave himself up for us, the cross. At the cross, we have the ultimate example of loving obedience. Can we pause for a moment and consider the cross? I've been talking this morning to you about the love of God being displayed and demonstrated on the cross But I want to tell you there's more going on at the cross than God demonstrating his love for us. What else was going on there at the cross? God, through his son, Jesus Christ, is giving us the greatest, purest, highest demonstration of a person's loving obedience to God. Jesus is showing what obedient love looks like, loving obedience to God looks like. This morning, we looked at the greatest commandment. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. All of the law depends on those two. They all, every part of the law hangs on those two, and Jesus Christ fulfilled it all. And he's doing so supremely on the cross. There at the cross, we see God's love, or Jesus Christ's love for God. Just hours before Jesus went to the cross, he's telling the disciples about what he's about ready to go through. And he said that the world, this is John chapter 14, verse 31, he said the world must know 
that I love the Father and I obey all that he commands me. The world must know that I love the Father and I obey everything he commands me. And shortly after he said those words, he walked with his disciples to the Garden of Gethsemane, and there he said, Father, Abba, dear Father, not my will, but yours be done. Brothers and sisters, this is the type of love we've been called to imitate. Do you see how high that is? We're supposed to do the same, to imitate this. And as Jesus Christ is on the cross, hanging on the cross, you're seeing the ultimate example of love for God, obedience. And there we also see on display the love for neighbor. Just hours before Jesus was to go to the cross, he washed his disciples' feet. He went to the cross, and with his arms wide open, he showed what love looks like. How much do you love me, Lord Jesus? This much, he answered as he stretched out his arms and died. And just before the cross, he said, this is my commandment. This is my commandment, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, so you love one another. Greater love has no one than this, that he lays down his life for his friends. How are we doing in our church at Beacon Light with this? Do we look anything like that? Yes. but we have room to grow. On the cross, we also have a motivation for loving obedience, for this life of love and obedience. God himself created you and me. He rescued you and me. He gave you and me everything in his son, Jesus Christ. Can you turn to Romans? Back up a little bit. It's worth looking at this verse. Look at verse number eight, or chapter eight, verse thirty-two. Look at this. Look at this. You talk about love. Wow. This is God. He, the great I am, who did not spare. His own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? This is grace. This is grace. On the cross, we have an example to follow. So that we may love God and obey. We have an example and we have a motivation. I've just shared that with you. But I want to tell you this morning, it's still impossible. 
It's impossible with man if all we had was a motivation and an example. An example and a motivation. It's not enough. Heidelberg Catechism is right. The last part of the whole catechism is about our gratitude for all that he's done for us and rescuing us from our misery. But it's not enough to have gratitude. It's not enough to have an example. It's still impossible to imitate God and love that way and to imitate Christ and love that way. We need empowerment to live out a life of loving obedience. We don't have that kind of strength to love God and obey so how do we get it? Where do we get it? I'll tell you. The love of God has been poured out into our hearts by the Holy Spirit, through the Holy Spirit. When we entered into faith in Christ, verse number one, Jesus, we loved him, entered into faith in him, we were raised with Christ to a new life. You, brothers and sisters, are in Christ now, and so am I. And Christ is in you. The Spirit of God is in you. And God is love. The Spirit of the great I Am is in your very heart. And He's telling you that He loves you. And at the same time, He's enabling you. This is an enabling grace. Verse number 2. He's enabling you. He's empowering you and compelling you. He's compelling you. It's not just a motivation. Man, this love is driving you to love him back and to obey him. Little granddaughter, why do we need God? Why do we need Jesus? Because apart from him, we can do nothing. Nothing that pleases God. We can't obey him. We can do nothing apart from Jesus, from the work of the Holy Spirit. But we do have the Holy Spirit. Now, as I conclude this message, I speak as a pastor. I speak tenderly to this church that I love. More importantly, that Jesus Christ loves. I'm going to say that this example that Christ set for us at the cross is the cross. The cross is the example. Any of you, brothers and sisters, that are here today or are listening, if by faith you have entered into life in Christ and have entered into his love, you have also been called by Jesus Christ himself to take up your cross. And follow him. It's the cruciform life. You and I were crucified with Jesus and were raised with him to live a loving and holy life. We have been crucified to this world and its fallen value system. And we have been called to live as faithful citizens of the kingdom of God. It's the cross life. And you will suffer. Look at verse number 3. Chapter 5, verse 3. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings. Look at chapter 8, verse number 17. Would you turn over a little bit? This is important that we see this. If we're going to be citizens of the kingdom of heaven, if we're heirs with Christ, 
heirs of God, look at what you're called to. Chapter 8, verse 17. If children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we what? What? Suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. Rejoice in your suffering as an heir. This is part of your noble calling in Christ. Anyone who wants to live a godly life in this fallen age is going to suffer. You're going to be despised. You're going to be scorned. You're going to be ostracized, not invited. You're going to be hated, persecuted. Rejoice, for yours is the kingdom of heaven. Rejoice in suffering for Christ. It's a badge of honor. It places you in the Hebrews 11's hall of faith. You are following Jesus now. And Jesus is the suffering sacrifice. He's the suffering servant. Like him, you have called, you have been called to live a life of loving, sacrificial service. Agape love. You have been called to forgive people, to serve people, to do good to those who hate you, to pray for those who persecute you, to bless those who curse you, to tell others about Jesus, even though they reject you. A life of suffering. And in the church, in this church, Beacon Light, use your time, your talents, and your God-given giftedness to lovingly and sacrificially serve each other. Serve those who are not like you. Love people and wash their feet who are not like you. Serve and love those who rub you the wrong way. And it will cost you emotions, sleep, money. If you see your brother in need, you'll help him. It'll be proof that the love of God is in your heart and rejoice. Because when you walk this way, you will, you will be walking so close to Jesus, you'll be able to smell his robe even as you rub shoulders with him along the way. And your heart will swell with the love of God. His love for you and your love for him. This is the fulfilled life. And you will join with the psalmist who says, because your love is better than life, my lips will glorify you. How can that even be? Because your love is better than life. And I will praise you as long as I live. Suffering, brothers and sisters, it purifies you. It cleanses you from worldly distractions. It leads you into a pure devotion to Christ. It's a blessed place where all you have is Christ. All you have is Christ and his love. Rejoice. Would you look at verse number three? Here's what suffering will produce in you. Endurance. You will find, like the Apostle Paul, 
that when you are weak, you are strong. This verse number two, grace that we're talking about, God's grace is sufficient for you, for you will find that in your weakness you are powerful. My grace is sufficient for you. That's what God said. For power is perfected in weakness. You will find when it comes to endurance that you can do all things. You can endure all things in him, in Jesus, who loves you and strengthens you. Rejoice. And endurance, verse number four, produces character. The type of character, the kind of character that when the howling winds of adversity whip your clothing, you and your testimony will stand fast, steadfast, strong, brave, and true. And when the deepening shadows of this present darkness cover the land, people can look to you, to you, to you. For encouragement and reassurance as you hold fast to Christ, remaining undismayed, continuing to be reliable, in him refusing to abandon your post, refusing to abandon worship, refusing to relinquish your God-given tasks, what he gave you, God-given tasks, gifts to serve. Because when you don't abandon, and when you don't relinquish, and when you do all of this, including your suffering, and you do it with joy, God is glorified through you. Rejoice. Character produces hope. Verse number four, and verse number five, and this hope doesn't disappoint. It will not put you to shame. But you may ask this morning, what is this hope? Well, it is the hope of the glory of God. Do you see verse number two? Would you follow with me there? And we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. But what does the glory of God mean? One, it's his glorious appearing. It's when the Son of Man, Jesus, the one we have loved and longed for, comes with all his glory. And then we shall see our beautiful Savior face to face. Two, and when we see Jesus face to face, to face we shall finally obtain the full glory that belongs to the children of God. And what is that Full glory of the children of God? Romans chapter 8, verse 23 says, it's the redemption of our bodies. It's the redemption of our bodies. When in the twinkling of an eye, God will transform our lowly bodies to be just like his glorious body. We shall be just like him. And three, what is this hope of glory? It is the glorious inheritance of the saints, you and me. As we inherit the kingdom of God prepared for us from the foundation of the world. And into that glorious city we shall enter into the new Jerusalem. Which descends to this earth. 
The glory of the nations will stream into it, which will include you and me. And there we shall behold Emmanuel, the King of glory, seated on his throne. And if you suffered with him, if you endured with him, the one who is seated there will say, Well done, my good and faithful servant. Welcome home. Rejoice in your sufferings, brothers and sisters. For these light and momentary trials, these afflictions are producing for us an eternal weight of glory that is far beyond all comparison. How can we be sure of these things? How do we know that we won't be disappointed? Well, what does the cross tell you? What does the Word of God tell you? What is the Holy Spirit telling you right now in your heart? The love of God has been poured out into your hearts through the Holy Spirit. How do you know that you won't be disappointed? Because God never fails. And his love for you never ends. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen.